0: good morning. And as usual, you are too kind. But I appreciate that very much. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do. We are going to be spending our time this morning in Acts chapter 2. So as you find your place there, I do want to thank you for another opportunity to be with you. It is... uh, I'm seeing familiar faces. We're, we're becoming old friends. So that is good. The Lord is kind. And uh, um, I thank Isaac for his invitation and, again, for, for you all allowing us to be here, Noah and myself. So as, you, as you're finding your way, like, I'm, like I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Uh, I understand that you have finished your study through John as of last week. So, when Isaac and I were talking about this, and, and he called several weeks ago to ask me to be here, and, and I said, okay, well, where will you be in John? And he said, I'll be finished with John. I thought, great. Now I've got to find something else. So, uh, we thought and talked through that, and, and, and so what, what I think we're going to do today, well, I know we're going to do today, because this is what we got going, uh, we're, we're going to look through a, a passage that may be familiar, maybe not, but um, it's an important passage, an important passage, and we'll see why as we, as we get into it and walk through it. But, but as we do that, as we get ready to get started, I do want to make sure we've got our, our background and our context squared, context squared away um, so we know where we're headed and know where we came from. But, but I think, and I, and I hope you'll agree as we, as we walk through this text together, that this will this will make sense as as you have finished studying John you have seen in-depth detail of Christ's ministry you have seen in-depth detail of his interaction with his apostles with his disciples with uh, those who he has taught and and this is just the natural next step of uh, of the ministry of some of those men but as we begin acts is is One of two books in the New Testament written by Luke. The other being the gospel that that bears his name. Um, And Acts is a history book. Acts gives us an account of the very early church. The very first days, first years of Christian ministry. And and it it bears out as we begin reading and and continue to read through Acts and see how God is working. It it bears out the fact that that Christianity is born out of God's promises from the beginning of time. We're going to see that today as as we read our text. We're going to take a look at a, a, a sermon from the Apostle Peter, and we're going to see that he takes an Old Testament passage, actually he takes three Old Testament passages, and teaches through the Gospel using Scripture. We're going to, we're going to see Peter proclaiming some of these truths that are hundreds of years old, even when... Peter reads these texts, and we're going to see that, that he is teaching a group of Jews who are gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. This is on Pentecost, and we'll talk about that in a minute on what that is. But, but as, we, as we begin in Acts, the first chapter um, begins with a description of Jesus. He has resurrected. He has appeared to his disciples, and he spends time with them, 40 days, teaching them, encouraging them, preaching to them, praying for them. He spends that time and he continues to remind them before he ascends in in chapter 1, verse 9 of Acts. He reminds them of a promise, a promise that he made to them in John, a promise that he made to them in in um, the other Gospels, a promise that the Old Testament writers have made. And that is that I will send another. Yes, I'm going away, but I will send another in my place. I will send the Holy Spirit. Now, In the beginning of chapter 2, we see that. That that chapter begins with 120 believers, including the disciples, all gathered together in Jerusalem. It is the Feast of Weeks. It is Pentecost, and that's where they have gathered. They are still figuring out what's next. They have heard Jesus teach them for 40 days after he is raised. Now he is gone. And we read... In chapter 2, that suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them with a sound as a mighty rushing wind. And they, the believers, begin speaking in tongues, your version may say. Or, or basically that's other languages. They begin teaching and preaching God's word, but everyone heard them in their native tongue. So, and that's going to be what sets us up today. And, and some of the, those that heard them teaching that were amazed. Others thought they had gotten into the wine a little early and didn't know quite what was going on. Uh, And that's how Peter's going to pick things up for us as as we begin our text today. But as we do that, I have mentioned Pentecost. I have mentioned the Feast of Weeks. And you don't need to turn here, but I want to read to you a, a background passage before we get to our text. This is all the way back in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy chapter 16. Verses 9 to 12. And there's some things here that as, as Moses has just finished describing Passover, which, which we may be familiar with, he continues on and now he is describing the Feast of Weeks. In Leviticus it's called the Feast of first fruits. And we'll, we'll read through this passage and, and see what the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to tell us about this. And there's some important things in here as we, as we set the stage for Acts chapter 2. So, Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 through 12. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Now, this is after Passover, okay? So, you've got the next day. Passover's on Saturday. Then begins on Saturday. The next day is Sunday, right? So, that's one. And then you count seven weeks. Now, I know this is early. I promise this is the only math question we're going to have all day. Seven weeks. Weeks is how many days? 49. Plus one is? 50. That's how we get Pentecost. That's how we get to 50. Then you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of free will offering from your hand, which you shall give to the Lord as your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Now listen to this. It's very important when we get to the end. Of who Moses explains is to attend the Feast of Weeks. You shall rejoice before the Lord And your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your town, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So Moses is laying this out, and he explains. uh, Keep a bookmark in, in your mind of who this list of people is that's supposed to be attending the this feast of first fruits because it, it will come up again. And and Pentecost here and and throughout the centuries has had a uh, a special place for the, the early church and even even um, for some denominations even up to now that it is celebrated. And it it's we talk about it being the first fruits and that being what the offering was. And that's how the the early church looked at this. This was a a, a kind of a first fruits of something new. There is a new covenant that Christ has spoken of. There is a new covenant that he has purchased, a new covenant that he has made based on what he did on the cross. Now, just so we have a little bit further bearings, and and this, I did not know this, studying and preparing for this this week, but this is another kindness of the Lord. Fifty days ago, because I just want us to get in our, our mind kind of how along these things are 50 days ago was march 27th okay so you kind of think of march 27th now it just so happens march 27th this year was the beginning of passover so fast forward 50 days it's always going to fall on a sunday guess what day the feast of weeks begins in 2021 today isn't that something i didn't i didn't again the lord is kind um now I, I will go ahead and, and give you a heads up. We are reading a lot of text today. It's a long passage. We won't be able to dig into each verse as uh, as we typically like to do, but but it's worth reading because we need this whole unit. We need to be able to see what Peter's saying. So bear with me as we read, and then we'll we'll dig into the text and see what the Lord has for us. So if you found your place in Acts two, we're going to be reading verse fourteen all the way to verse forty one, and. Uh, I am reading from the ESV, so your mileage may vary slightly. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord Said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Verse 36. Let all those in the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, as we gather together this morning, open Bibles in our laps, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel that we have read this morning. We thank you for the faithfulness of those who have come before us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit inspiring those to write this down so that as we read it, we can understand that we are hearing the words of God. Lord, as we read this text, we ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher, that he may help us to understand what we read. He may help us to be obedient to the things we read. He may help us to respond appropriately to the message of the gospel. Again, Lord, we are thankful to you for this time and for this text. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, I warned you that it was a lot of reading. So we will do our best to get through chunks of this as we uh as we walk through. But a couple things that I want us to see as we as we begin this. This is a big deal, okay? This is a big deal as we have just read this, and it's something that especially if you're familiar with church, if you have have come for a long time, if you're familiar with your Bible, that that we may just read over it. Okay, it's a sermon from Peter. There's a lot of those, right? But one thing I want us to see is this is the first sermon of Peter. This is the, the first time the gospel has been preached after the Holy Spirit has been sent. This is the first time we read of people falling under conviction of the Holy Spirit, having heard the gospel preached. So this is a big deal in church history. What we read—it's not something that we should we should gloss over. But as we do, as we we walk through this, let's look let's look back, beginning in verse fourteen. So I, I mentioned earlier that as they taught that. They. everyone heard them in their own language. And and some were amazed by that. Some thought, man, they got into the wine early on the Feast of Weeks, didn't they? So Peter stands up. Peter never wanted to be shy of being the spokesman for the group. Stands up, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. That means he got loud. And addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So Peter's explaining, look guys, it's just nine o'clock in the morning, okay? They're not drunk. Something more is going on here. And he's getting ready to explain this to us. And we talk about this being, or have mentioned this being, the first recorded sermon of Peter. The first, strong argument, the first Christian sermon in history. This is what we have just read. Um, But one of the things it also does, as Peter's getting ready to do, is it gives us a template or a model for how the New Testament church then and now continues to teach. You are no stranger to this, as your pastor stands before you every single week, Bible open, reading a text, and explaining what that text means, explaining how those truths affect us, how that gospel affects, should change us. Now that that idea is not unique to your pastor. Praise the Lord! Faithful preachers have been doing this for two thousand years, explaining God's revealed word to God's people, and that's what Peter's getting ready to do. So he stands up first and says, "They're not drunk. It's just nine o'clock." And then, verse sixteen, he begins with a quote from Joel. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and then he quotes. A passage from Joel chapter 2. Now, who is Joel? Joel is one of the minor prophets. He's one of those guys that's squeezed in at the end of the Old Testament. And you, you, you think, minor prophet, not important. Not true. Minor prophets, very important. They're called minor just because they're short. They're not Isaiahs and Jeremiahs that are enormous books. They're, some are as short as one chapter. Joel is very short. A lot of these guys, what they have written is very short, but they are full of gold. They are full of truth. As Peter is getting ready to explain here, he he quotes Joel chapter two, and if you want to look it up, it's, it's verses twenty-eight to thirty-two. And he, Joel is a prophet. He prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. He talked, like most prophets do, about the coming judgment. Right? That's prophets were good at that. He talked about the coming judgment, but he also offers a hope of restoration to those who are repentant. So Peter is explaining this in in terms of the new covenant, in terms of a promise that was made in the Old Testament, a promise that was made by Christ of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And that's how Peter begins. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Joel talks about this again. Hundreds of years before Peter preaches it. Holy Spirit inspired Joel to explain something very similar. So this is a New Testament or a New Covenant promise that was explained in Old Covenant language, Old Covenant times. Now remember back when we read Deuteronomy and I told you to bookmark in your mind who all he says is going to be there. Well, look at what Joel talks about. He talks about sons and daughters, young men, old men, male servants, female servants. So he is spreading spreading it around again, just like Moses in Deuteronomy is explaining who will be attending the Feast of Weeks. Joel is explaining the same thing. And then Peter's reference to Joel culminates in verse 21. Jump down there with me. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Beginning here, through the rest of the sermon that we're going to read, Peter explains to the original here in Jerusalem, 2000, almost 2,000 years ago, and to us this morning the same message. If we call upon the name of Christ in repentance and faith, we shall be saved. The rest of Peter's sermon is going to point to Christ. It's going to point to the truth that the prophet has explained. He's going to show the listener that the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, all of these things have satisfied God's righteous requirement. All of these things have have met the standard that God laid out for us in Old Testament law. The Savior has come. The Messiah has come. The debt has been paid. The work is done. The promises are now available. Continue with me. Verse 22. The next section of Peter's sermon. This is where he gets a little bit of toe-stepping. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter speaks out, men of Israel. He's just read Joel. He's just read about the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, men of Israel, hear these words. You just finished studying the book of John. In the book of John, there were seven signs, right? Seven signs that Jesus accomplished. Now, what was the point of those signs? The point of those signs, just like a road sign or anything else, is to point to something. The point of those signs was to point to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus has come from God as he said he had. He was here to do God's business. He was here to settle our account. That's what the signs point to. And Peter reminds the men of Israel who are listening to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So it, it's, it's completely conceivable that, that some of these men who are under the sound of Peter's voice right here were witness to some of these signs. One of the things that always amazes me, and I was reminded of it when, when we went through the Gospel of John, you know, you read of all these Pharisees and different folks who are mad about Jesus' message. Right, You you read about him raising Lazarus from the dead and it talking about how many people were there and how many followed them back to Jerusalem after that happened. You know what you never read about? Nobody said that didn't happen. Nobody questioned it. So, logically, going from one step to the other, if they were there, they saw a man walk out of a tomb... Never questioned the fact that it happened and still wanted to kill the guy who made it happen. If that is not a hard heart, I don't know what is. But Peter is saying the same thing here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you know. Verse 23, this Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, this verse again is one you can just gloss over if you're just reading through this. But look at what Peter is saying, essentially in the same breath. He is saying at the beginning of this verse, Every single moment, there is not a second that goes by from when Christ was born to when Christ ascended back to heaven, including his arrest, Including his betrayal, including the trials, including the beatings, including the nailing, including the hanging on the cross, including the death, burial, resurrection. Not a second of that was outside of God's control. Not a fraction of a second was outside of God's control. Not only was it not outside of his control, verse 23 tells us he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Christ came to die. Make no mistake, he was no hapless victim. While his trial was certainly unjust, his death was certainly unjust. He was clear with his disciples. No one takes my life from me, but I will lay it down. That's what he did. But in the same breath, look what Peter says. So this was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there is this tension there. Scripture teaches us this in all kinds of things. We just finished studying Ephesians in our Sunday school class, and there is there is this tension there that, that salvation is the Lord's business, that he calls us to be saved, and then it's our responsibility. There is this tension between it. That's what Peter's saying here. There's this tension between the fact that while this was God's plan, Judas is responsible for what Judas did. Pilate is responsible for what Pilate did. All of those things are both absolutely true. And what Peter is telling them here is, since Genesis 3, you have had a promise that there is one coming who will save you. There is a Messiah coming. He came, you missed him, and you killed him. Verse 24, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He didn't deserve death. He was perfect. He was sinless. Death had no hold on him. So when he was buried, it was correctly called the borrowed tomb because I won't be needing this very long. You can have it back. He goes on again. Peter continues, verse 25. For David says concerning him. He quotes a portion of Psalm Sixteen. Now, who is him? We've got to keep our pronouns straight. Who is him? Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. He goes on to explain different things about the Messiah. Well, how do we know that's who he's talking about? Well, again, thankfully, Peter explains this to us. Peter is using exposition of Scripture to explain these things. In verse 29, we'll skip over the the passage of Psalms and get, get to Peter's explanation. Verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. So David's not talking about himself, right? Peter says, I can say this with confidence, David is dead and he is buried. And the next phrase, apparently... They knew where he was buried because it says, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's most certainly dead. He's most certainly buried. We know where he's buried. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. So think back, this is 2 Samuel. There's a ton of Old Testament in Peter's sermon. So you got to keep thinking switching back and forth. Second Samuel God makes a promise to David. You may have heard of it called the Davidic covenant. He makes a promise and he says, "One of your descendants, David, will sit on my throne for how long? Forever. Forever." Now, it's not David. David has died. David couldn't be talking about himself. Peter calls him a prophet. Continuing on in verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's referencing back to these passages, these verses in in Psalm 16 that he just quoted from, from David. David trusted God. David trusted in the covenant that God made with him, the promise that he made with him in 2 Samuel, promising that his descendant would sit on David's throne forever. And as he's speaking of this, he's speaking of that Promised one that is to come. Verse 31 that we just read, he talks about, you will not, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He was raised. David is talking about a resurrected Messiah. Again, hundreds of years before Christ is born in Bethlehem, before Peter is explaining this. Now, this is another thing that is helpful. Now, as we read Psalm 16, we have in Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, an explanation of that passage. You you probably have heard Isaac say, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Well, this is a prime example of that. Let Peter interpret David. He's explaining to us here, nearly line by line, what David's talking about in, in Psalm 16. And then in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. So Peter makes makes plain here, David's talking about Christ. David is talking about the Messiah. David is talking about Jesus. He was killed. He was buried. He has raised. And then what does Peter say? Then this is why Peter is an apostle. Of that we're all witnesses. He's seen them. Everyone here. Be it known that he has raised from the dead, and the apostles are witnesses to that fact. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he's still referencing back, poured out. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching in their own tongue. They're teaching in their own language. They're able to understand what the apostles are teaching. Not that they're drunk. It's that New covenant promises made in the Old Covenant are happening. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. This is a new covenant. This is a new day. Things are going to be different. Peter continues to make that plain. Verse 34. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says. Here he quotes Old Testament again. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until... I make your enemies my footstool. So verse 34 and 35, that's another quote from a psalm. That's 110, Psalm 110. So we've got Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. Peter is packing it in. Peter is, Peter's sermon is full of full of scripture. And he keeps reminding them, as has been promised, the poured out Holy Spirit has come. The events beginning in chapter 2 have ushered in a new age, a new Way of things happening. Verse thirty-six. He comes. Peter comes full circle, and he summarizes everything he just said. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter has quoted three Old Testament passages. He is teaching a group of Jewish men in Israel for a prescribed Old Testament law feast, the Feast of Weeks. They're in Jerusalem in obedience to the Torah. They have killed their Messiah, and Peter is pointing this out to them. Now, remember, he just told them these signs that that, that Jesus has done happened in your midst. You are witness. You have seen them. That didn't faze them. None of that did. They saw that. We talked about no one questioned the fact that Lazarus was now up and walking around when he was dead and buried and in the tomb. So hard hearts abound, right? Let's see what how the hearers respond to Peter's sermon, beginning in verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall We do. So they have heard, they had seen all these things, but now they have heard Peter preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit, who has just been poured out earlier in this chapter. Now they're convicted. This message that Peter is explaining to them, this Messiah that he is telling them about, that you have been waiting on since you were little kids, and your grandfather. And grandmother, as far back as can be counted, has been looking for him. He showed up and you killed him. Well, now a light comes on for him. And what does it say? The Jewish audience is cut to the heart. What does that mean? That means it's like a gut punch. It is this visceral response of them coming to the realization of what they have done. We have been promised a messiah. And we delivered him up to Rome. Many of these may have been in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. All of this is probably going through their mind now. We we need to be careful by using our imaginations too much. But we are students of the Old Testament. We know something of Jewish history up until this point. While the Holy Spirit through Luke does not explain to us exactly what they were thinking, it does say they were cut to the heart. A couple things we do know. One, apparently they know their Old Testament because as Peter is teaching it, that's part of what drives home the message. The other thing we know about Jews, especially the Jews in the first century, is they understand what judgment is. And they understand that God is faithful. If he promises judgment, mark it down. It is sure to come. Their ancestors wandered for 40 years in the desert because they questioned God in the Exodus. Their ancestors in the north had to deal with Assyria coming in and wiping them out as a response to their disobedience. Their, their ancestors in the southern kingdom had to deal with the Babylonians coming in and wiping them out. Extend that on. Now they are under the rule of Rome. Because they broke their covenant. Because they were disobedient. Because they did not follow what the Lord God had commanded them to do. So be sure of this. They understand judgment. Now, what are they thinking? We questioned God. We had to walk for 40 years. We were disobedient to what we were called to do. And we've been captives. By any and everybody. Now, we have killed our Messiah. This is probably going to be pretty bad that's got to be part of what's going through their mind and what do they ask they're cut to the heart brothers what shall we do what shall we do now before we look at peter's response let's get our context again first recording of any of the apostles teaching after the pouring out of the holy spirit that's what we've just read Peter has faithfully explained three passages of Scripture from the Old Testament to the Jewish people there attending the Feast of Weeks. He taught them that these Scriptures point to Christ. He taught them that while it was according to God's plan for him to come and to die, that they are responsible for their hand in his crucifixion. They have rejected the true Messiah. And this is the first record that we have in the New Testament of someone hearing the gospel preached and falling under conviction of that. So that's our context. That's where we are. That's what we have just read. Now, we see the conviction. We see they're cut to the heart. We see them ask, brothers, what shall we do? And what does Peter say? Verse 38. And Peter said to them, what's the first word Peter says to them? Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent is the first thing Peter says. You have sinned. But God offers repentance. What does repent mean? Repent means not, not just to turn away, but it means to agree with God. To, to say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Yes, I have run against your standard, against your law, against your commandments. I stand before you guilty. That's what Peter, how Peter begins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he's talking about be baptized, it, it's not just the, um, what he's saying is it's not the act of getting wet that saves you. There's a lot packed into this verse that that we need to understand. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this bears repeating. You, You may know this, probably do, but just so we're all clear and on the same page. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Okay? Christ is the Greek version of what the Hebrews would say is the Messiah. Okay, so when they say Jesus Christ, that's not his first and last name. That's his name and his title. So when when Peter says, brothers, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, there is tied to that this belief, this faith, this understanding. Yes, God is who he says he is. Yes, God has done what he said he would do. Yes, Christ has paid my debt on my behalf. All of that is built into his command to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Recognizing Jesus as that promised Messiah. And as part of that transaction, for that happening, what does he say will happen? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sin that I just recounted to you, that you killed your Messiah. You had a hand in that. Repent. Believe your sins will be forgiven. Peter goes on to tell them, this is where I wanted us to remember from Deuteronomy. Remember who Moses tells us will be at the Feast of Weeks. We saw sons and daughters, we saw male and female servants. But then at the end, he talks about a sojourner. Now, we don't use that word very often these days. I haven't used it all week until right now. But what is a sojourner? That was someone traveling who was not Jewish, was from outside of Israel, right? What's another way of saying that? A Gentile. That'd be us too, right? This is, this is going to get good for us. We've got to pay attention. So Moses tells us, yes, male, female servants, sons, daughters, everybody in your household. Also, if you've got a, someone from a foreign land with you, bring them along. Do you see where this is going? Let's look at verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Now that doesn't mean somebody who's across the world. This language means if you are a far off to a Jew in the first century, this this would be clear. He's talking about Gentiles. New covenant, a lot of things new happening here. So Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, explains to the Jews in his sermon in Deuteronomy take the foreigner with you to Jerusalem when you go, take the Gentile with you to Jerusalem when you go. Now, years later, Peter is preaching. And he says, the promise is for you, the promise is for your children. The promise is for everyone who is far off. We finished Ephesians, I mentioned earlier, in our our Sunday school class recently. And many times in that book, Paul talks about before the Lord, there is no distinction anymore between Jew and Gentile. Because you were raised Jewish or because you were raised a Gentile does not offer you one bit of a head start on anybody. Our standing before the Lord is the same. These promises are the same. Joel tells us in Judah, or in the, it tells Judah in the, the passage that we read, that the new covenant promise is going to be available to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And Peter repeats that in this verse. Salvation has been brought to Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 40 and 41, and we'll be finished. We read a lot, but look at this. Luke tells us we didn't read everything Peter said. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people responded in obedience to the gospel. So what do we do with this? What do we what do we take from this? We have read the first Christian sermon. That is a big deal. We have seen the first time a group has come under conviction from that. What do we do? Well, the application for this passage uh, is one that is quite simple. It's no different for us than it is there. So I ask you, as we have read this, as we have read about Peter's message to this group of Jews at the Feast of Weeks, Their hand in the killing of the Messiah. Their sin, their guilt. They were cut to the heart. Are you cut to the heart? And you say, well, I don't have anything to do with that. I wasn't even alive man. Well, I can assure you that your sin and my sin were just as responsible for his death as those who turned him over. How else would it have been paid for? So that's what I ask. That's what we'll end on. Are you cut to the heart? Having heard Peter explain that God has a plan for himself to redeem for himself a people. Part of his plan is his son's life, ministry, death, resurrection, resurrection his ability to fulfill all the prophecies about him, his ability to to meet God's righteous standard revealed to us in the Old Testament law. He was killed, he was resurrected, and now sits at the right hand as David has described to us today. Peter's message to the Jews is the same to us. If we respond in repentance and faith that Jesus is who he says he is, Your sins can be forgiven. You can receive the Holy Spirit and can be numbered among those who are God's children. Are you cut to the heart today having heard this message? And I don't mean my message, I mean the one Peter did so much more eloquently than I ever could. With that, let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we are thankful to you for your word. We're thankful for the message of the gospel. We're thankful that the truth of the gospel can change our life. The truth of the gospel can not just help us to live a better life or help us to behave better. That does us no good. The truth of the gospel is that we can have a brand new life, that we can be a brand new creature, that this transaction that we have read about you are satisfied to look on us as having Christ's righteousness if we respond in repentance and faith to the truth of your gospel. Lord, we are all sinners. Utterly, in that way, involves the death of your only son. Lord, not because we were worth it, Not because you couldn't get along without us. Not because heaven would be just a little bit better if one or two of us were there. But because you are worth the glory. You are kind. You are gracious. You are merciful. Lord, help us to understand that. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would cut us to the heart with the message of the gospel. Not just those who may be here who are not Christians, but those of us here who are believers, Lord. May we preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we forget it every day. Lord, cut us to the heart. May your spirit convict us. May we respond obediently to that call. Again, Lord, we are thankful to you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.